Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. It's, a, it's an exclamation that is calling for exploration. You're plunging into the depths is something that, that many enjoy and seeking things out, finding their end. How deep is deep? You ever thought about that? How deep is deep? You know, not far from Jerusalem, it is the lowest point above water. It is the Dead Sea. It sits at about 430 meters below sea level. Now, the deepest point on Earth is the Mariana Trench. It's just under 11 kilometers deep. Sounds pretty deep. But the deepest holes ever drilled by man are only 12 kilometers. It's hardly deep at all when you consider that to get to the center of the Earth is 6,400 kilometers, and we're only going 12. In 1864, Jules Verne wrote a book, The Journey to the Center of the Earth. You know, the depths of the Earth remain as much a mystery now as they then. The deep Earth exploration would actually be something to help us understand better how this planet works. But that exploration is going to have to wait until new technologies allow survival of the extreme heat and the crushing pressure. The little we know of the depths of the Earth is a picture of the little that we know of the depths, of the riches, and the wisdom, of the knowledge of God. Romans 11.33 restates just how vast is the gap between God's mind and our own. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. In Romans 1 to 11, Paul is leading the church through his most detailed tour of the good news of Christ. And, and he begins with that opening statement back in chapter 1 that says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, from there, Paul walks through gospel truths of sin and faith, of obedience to God in the gospel, and God's faithfulness to his promises to Israel and to Gentiles through election. Now, following our passage today comes next, Paul turns in chapters 12 to 15 to the implications of that gospel. That is, how are we to live in the light of this gospel that Paul has just explained? But right here, right here in Romans eleven thirty-three 33 to 36, Paul 
breaks into praise to God, which is a most appropriate response for all that he's just taught us about this good news of Jesus Christ. And that's the main point in our passage today. Praise God from whom all mercy flows. Praise God from whom all mercy flows. Now Paul's writing style in these verses is very different to how he's been writing up until this point. Now, you, you can't read Romans 11, 33 to 36 the same way that we read the rest of chapters 1 to 11. It's a different kind of text. This is not teaching. It's poetry. It's, it's a song. It's a song. It's an exclamation. It's a motion. An exclamation. Next commission. Yes, that's how this poem starts and how it finishes in exclamation. Verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And then the final verse, 36. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You see, the top and the tail in this short poem is a pouring out of praise to the all-wise and glorious God. It's, it's not a declaration of what God has done to save us but an exclamation of who God is who saves us. It's, it's not an outline of the doctrines of salvation, but it, rather it's a celebration of the character of him who saved. His wisdom and knowledge are rich and deep. Contrasted with human wisdom, which is shallow and cheap. It begs the question, can we creatures truly comprehend the mental capacity of the creator? Can we? As David says in Psalm 139 verse 6, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too, too lofty for me to attain. We, we can't grasp this. Now, an, an important note, this explosion of praise erupts between two statements about God's mercy. It's between Paul's final gospel explanation that God must have mercy on all whom he saves in Romans eleven thirty two, And then in Romans 12, 1, he says, or Paul urges all believers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Uh, you could study then 
that Paul's poem of praise is a response to God's mercy. Mercy that's brought about salvation that is beyond our understanding. That's our first point. A salvation beyond understanding. And that salvation that's beyond understanding will connect to how we believers are to live in light of that salvation, in light of that mercy. At Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. And Paul has just revealed a major part of this mystery of mercy. That, that, that mystery that it's for both Jews and Gentiles. In Romans 1 to 8, he's been showing us all along the way the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ that comes to undeserved sinners like us. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And then in Romans 9 to 11, he shows that God's electing call is also to Jews and to Gentiles. We see in God's wisdom, both Jews and Gentiles must receive God's mercy for salvation. Salvation does not depend on human desire or effort, but rather on God's mercy. God's mercy. And it's by grace alone, through faith alone, for all who would believe. God's mercy, so amazing and undeserved, so rich and yet free. How can, how is anyone to know about this mercy? Well, God has graciously given us access to the rich depths of his wisdom and knowledge. How? Through his word. Through his word. Oh, friends, don't neglect such a rich treasure that you have been given. I I'm shocked. Well, even last week, shocked by Christians who say they've not read the Bible. They've not read the whole Bible. Come on. This is God's word. How can this be? Friends, it's God's word to you. People have literally died to make it available for you. You know, there was a time in the history of the church that God's word was only available in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And the church kept it that way for centuries. Now, now, the Bible is the full Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, 
is available to over 800 languages. And at least a part of it is available to over 3,300 languages in the world today. Christians, give yourself to explore the depths of the riches of this wisdom. And I would say non-Christian too. God's word is available to take it and read. But don't merely just read God's word, especially Christian. Study it. Study it on your own. Study it with other people. As Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. Christian, do you want to sin less? Do you want to become more holy? Then hide God's word in your heart. Memorize it. Memorize God's word. Don't, don't just reopen it, read it, and, and forget it. Memorize, but not only just one line. Memorize paragraphs. Memorize whole chapters. I want to I want to challenge. I want to challenge the church. I don't know if you'll take the challenge with me. Colossians before Christmas. The whole book. Okay? There's it. You gonna do it? Colossians before Christmas. Let's see who could memorize all four chapters. Okay? Listen, whatever means you use to dive into God's word, that's not all you need to do. The best thing you can do is to meditate on God's word throughout the day. That's why memorizing it is so healthy, because you can remember throughout the day long thoughts on God's word leads to deep exploration of his wisdom. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, the reason we need God to reveal his mercy in his word is because of what Paul says in the middle of the poem. We, we have human limitations, and this is our second point. We're looking at verses 34 and 35 here. And it reveals two problems with mankind, two limitations, if you will. One is knowledge. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And the second, resource. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? So let's look at each of those. Our knowledge. Our knowledge. Our knowledge is finite. It's fun. We, we die and our knowledge dies with us. And even what we achieve in, in, in knowledge and learning, it must be learned all over again by the next generation. Well, since everything has been created by him, everything we know is from him. Everything we, we have to know is from him. So our knowledge 
is finite and it's from him. But that's not our only limitation with knowledge. It's also been corrupted by our sin. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But let's think about the second limitation, our resources. You know, every now and then, my kids call me, hey, dad, can I borrow some money? I lend it to them. Uh, you know, I give it to them and I do expect it back. <laughs> it's so, uh, but what could we lend to God for him to pay us back? Everything we have, he made, it's all his. Does God have needs that, that we can fill? Would the creator need food or milk? Would he need clothes or, or money? Uh, can, can our offerings meet his need? No, never. Never. Giving offerings like we do is not a, it's not a service to him. It's a worship of him. Well, what about worship? We give worship to God. Does our worship obligate God to repay us? Oh, I worship God today. He's going to bless me. No, absolutely not. He is worthy of worship, whether we give it or not. When we worship God, it's what's most natural to the way that he created us. We are worshipers. And we will worship, whether we worship him or worship something else. So here's the truth. Whatever we know, whatever we own, it is from him. We know nothing. We have nothing apart from him. Now, perhaps if we lived a little closer to the time that God created the world and everything in it, we might understand that better, like Adam and Eve did. I'm sure they understood that all things were created by him and through him and for him. I'm sure they didn't have any question about that. They weren't confused, for instance, over the question of whether God created the world or whether the world evolved over time. And that wasn't one of their questions. They walked in the presence of God. They knew God. They talked with him in the cool of the garden every day. The garden that he created and that he placed them in. They weren't confused about him, but they did disobey him. They listened to the serpent's lie. They took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and in that they became aware in new ways that stole their innocence and righteousness. And friends, tracing our family tree brings us back to them 
and it shows that our eyes also are opened. That's, you know, how we've come to be able to know good and evil when we see it. We know it. But though we have that insight, the ability to see good and evil, we do not, indeed we cannot make consistent, disciplined choices for righteousness. It's not in our nature anymore. We're, we're like that shopping cart. <laughs> you know those shopping carts you get with the one bad wheel? They always steer off in that way. We're always bent towards evil, like that shopping cart. Even the good that we try to do is bent towards sin and selfishness. God fixed the wage of sin at death. He said, the wages of sin, the wages, the day you eat of it, you will die. But it's not just a physical death, as we all know, but an eternal death. It's the just punishment against an eternal God. And no education, no human knowledge can, can pacify our problem. But we are legally liable to a debt we cannot decrease. We can't make it any less. There's no price we can pay, no bribe that we can offer to God to throw our sin into the sea. It, it, we can't do it. There's no work that we can do to regain righteousness that was lost. What would the Creator desire that His creature could provide? But what ifs? What if there was one who was pure, who never earned the wage of sin? Such a perfect life could substitute, be a substitute in death for many. And that is exactly why the gospel is such good news. Because Jesus lived that perfect life we could not, and he laid it down as a ransom for many. In the very prime of earthly living, the author of life died upon the tree. He was cut down, not by an accident, but by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He there became a substitute the full and final sacrifice whom God presented. Christ, Christ, the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, and that was to be received by faith. His perfect life, given in death, paid the price of death for all who would look to him in faith. And this is what Paul's poem of praise is responding to. It's God's gospel mercy that he's been explaining from chapter 1 to chapter 8. It's, it's God's electing mercy that he's revealed in chapters 9 to 11. What we couldn't know, what we couldn't earn, what we didn't deserve, God has most graciously given. O oh, sinner, 
God is extending mercy to you now through this message. And you need only to receive it through faith, through faith and repentance. If you're here and you haven't accepted that message, would you do it today? Well, how, how do you respond to such grace and mercy? Well, Acts 3, 19 says, repent to plan and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Doubt of that. Consider that today. And saints, this is for you too. I mean, it can be easy to get caught up in all the things of life and in the world and forget just how amazing God's mercy is. This week I was in man's office. He showed me picture upon picture upon picture of him with important people, you know, leaders in Kurdistan and such. It, honestly, it was rather impressive. But believer, <laughs> think about it. You know one who is far greater. He's the king of kings. And he's your heavenly father. You know, this past week, Nobel, Nobel Prizes were awarded to those who achieved great benefit for humanity. But those medals of gold, those, those, those diplomas, they will, they will tarnish and fade. And all that money that they earn will be, will be spent and lost. But believer, believer, think you've been awarded something far more valuable. I mean, you've, you've received God's mercy. You've received God's mercy and an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Believer, explore your status, your connection with this king, with this father. Come before your heavenly father with reverence and awe and joy. And gladness with the knowledge that you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved through Christ. Believer, let the richness of God's verse lead you to praise. Like, let it lead you, like Paul to exclaim all glory to God. All glory to God. It's our third point. Verse 36. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To God be the glory forever. Amen. One of the things, leave that up there for a moment. One of the things to, to look for is the, the prepositions, the small words. From, through, for, to. They're so, so important, these small words. All things find, find their source from him. He's the creator. All things come to us through him. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. All things are for his good pleasure. He is the sovereign king over all his creation. 
and the leader of his church. He is the source and the means of all things. And he then is also the one who gives wisdom and revelation. He, he doesn't receive it from mankind. He's, he's the one who gives all things. He doesn't receive benefit from us in that way. He's not obligated, in fact, to give us anything. But he's given us a thing we were desperately needed. And that is his mercy. His mercy through Christ on the cross. It's what leads Paul to this explosion of praise. Oh, church, remember why Paul wrote this letter to Rome. It was to explain the amazing plan of God to bring Jew and Gentile together in one church through the gospel. That plan was enacted in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And it results in glory and praise to him. So, what we most rightly return to God for his mercy and salvation is praise. You know, Peter also praises God for his mercy in salvation. Consider these words from Peter's first letter. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He also says in in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, how, how are we to give back to God for all the goodness that he has given to us? How do we express to him our gratitude? We'll consider even what the psalmist says to that same question. In Psalm 116, verses 12 to 13, the psalmist says, What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What shall I return for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Oh, church, how lavishly the Lord has given his mercy to us. His wisdom and knowledge brought all Jew and Gentile together into one church, one people of God, according, according even to his promise all the way back to Abraham. His path through Christ has enabled those who, had, who are as far apart as Jew and Gentile could be to gather them together into local churches as a display of his glory. This morning, I looked at our member directory. We have 69 members at this point. 
25 ethnic groups in those less than 70 people. We have Iranians and Iraqis. We have Pakistanis and Kurds, Arakibab Indians, Kurds and Arabs, South Africans and North Americans, all worshiping together here to the one true and living God. How do we respond? How do we respond to such mercy, such wisdom, such a salvation? We lift up the help of salvation. We call on our loving Father and we say, Daddy, fill it up again. Fill it up again, Lord. Church, this mercy from God is worthy of our worship. It's, he's worthy of our praise. So let's respond. Let's respond by praising God who through his wisdom and his generosity has given us abundant mercy to save us as his very own people. Let's respond using the words of this poem of praise as we sing the Romans doxology. Let's stand and sing together. Amen. Well, pray with me. Father, we praise you for the gift of salvation. Lord, how deep is your wisdom that saw the end from the beginning. And in love, you predestined us to be adopted as your sons and daughters. In mercy, you called us through the gospel to respond in repentance and faith. Oh, Lord, how great you are. All praise and glory belong to you, for from you, through you, and for you are all things. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.